Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. My guest today is Imam Omar Suleiman, and he's going to talk about how his faith, his Muslim faith, has led him to advocate for the dreamers. In fact, even leading him to be arrested for civil disobedience on their behalf. Welcome to Good God, conversations about faith and public life, conversations that matter. I'm pleased that today, my friend Imam Omar Suleiman is with us. He is the, um, let's see, the Yaqim Institute, the president of the Yaqim Institute of Islamic Studies, and then also a resident scholar in the uh, Valley Ranch, um, what? Islamic Center. Islamic Center, excellent. And co-chair of Faith Forward Dallas. Yes. And so we've run into each other and participated in numerous interfaith and multi-faith sorts of things, and it's a delight to have you with us, Omar. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you for, for being me. here today. Thank you, appreciate it. I think so many people would be interested in knowing just some brief background about you and uh, some of the, the things that uh, you're involved in and distinguishing different forms of Islam and how you practice and what you teach. Uh, first of all, Imam simply means the leader of prayers, right? Uh, someone who uh, leads services, that sort of thing. But you are also a scholar. Right. Um, and uh, I think many people might be interested to know that you are American born, a New Orleans kid, right? Yeah. If yeah. you can't tell by looking at me. Of course, exactly, <laughs> right. But your parents are actually Palestinian. Correct. Yeah, so uh, you have a, a heritage that goes back uh, to the Middle East, but also uh, very much an American. Tell us a little bit about uh, how to distinguish uh, the denominations of Islam. We hear about the Sunni and the Shia and all the various um, sects of, of Islam overseas, but we don't actually hear that or understand how that's broken down in America. So the diversity in Islam is found more in jurisprudence rather than, rather than creed. Ah. Um, so in the creedal sense, the vast majority of Muslims around the world are Sunni Muslims. And yes. Sunni, Sunni Shia usually sounds, I mean, it sounds like an Iraq conflict for the most part because that's, where, that's how most Americans were exposed to that di difference. Mm -hmm. Um, but Sunni simply means in adherence to the prophetic tradition. Yes. And so it's, I guess, the closest thing to, or to orthodoxy and close to 90% of the Muslim world is Sunni. So a lot of, there are a lot of subgroups that are not, um, are not different denominations, but they, mean, they merely amplify certain elements of Islam. So they're more mystical groups. Mm -hmm. um, and there are, you know, different schools of thought in the uh, sense of jurisprudence, which is called fiqh, uh, F-I-Q-H. And then there's uh, the, the Sunni Shia in particular. The Shias are the largest group after the Sunnis, the mm -hmm. largest um, minority group in that sense. And even among Shias, there are many denominations, so it's, mm -hmm. they're not monolithic. But uh, for the most part, the Sunni Shia um, you know, divide is really only amplified by political turbulence. Okay. Meaning when there is political stability, there tends to be no issues between Sunnis and Shias. Right. But once it's almost tribalistic, once war breaks out, then uh -huh. people retreat back into all of their different identities. Mm. And so in Iraq, for example, before the turbulence of the 70s and beyond, um, you know, Sunnis and Shias intermarried. They, mm -hmm. It was very common to find a right. Shia that didn't know why he was really Shia. It uh -huh. goes to Sunni right. mosques in Iraq and, right. and vice versa. And many people forget that, 
you know, Saddam Hussein was not a Sunni in the traditional sense at all. He wasn't a right. very religious man. Right. You know, his vice president thought Aziz was a Catholic. Yes. Right. So exactly. it was a. It, right. It's it's very political, and it was more about mm -hmm. people just retreat to their identities once once sectarian conflict breaks out. The same thing we're seeing happen in Yemen right now. Yes. Um, the Shias in Yemen belong to a sect called the Zaidi sect mm -hmm. within Shias, which are. I mean, from from a standpoint of creed, they're more Sunni than Shia. Ah. And so growing yeah. up in Yemen, if you grew up in Yemen, you know, you, a Zaidi and a Sunni were practically the same. But then once conflict breaks out, then everyone sort of retreats into their identities. So bringing it back home, I know that you're a person who uh, is active uh, in the prophetic stream of uh, Islam and you're uh, clearly engaged in the public square, you're seeking social justice, you're trying to bring people together. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I know that in Christianity, for instance, as uh, we struggle with different streams of, of uh, our tradition also, there are those who are, who draw more upon the prophets, more upon the vision of Jesus, say, of uh, of advocacy for the poor and of, of right. calling people from the margins. And there are others who focus more on personal piety, on bringing the community together around certain religious practices. What do you draw on for your vision of public life when you engage? What is it within the stream of the Quran and uh, your own practice of the faith? So one of the things about Islam is that there is a, a connection, an intentional connection that's drawn throughout the holy text between the monotheism of God, the oneness of God, and then mm -hmm. the oneness of people. Okay. So, for example, our uh, most visible ritual uh, to the world is the Hajj pilgrimage once a year, mm -hmm. where people come from all over the world, and everyone has to dress in the same two garments. There are no honorifics, there are no titles. Everyone does the exact same thing, and mm -hmm. the, the idea is that you cannot tell the king from the peasant, um, you know, if you live in a context of slavery, the slave from the slave owner, mm -hmm. uh, black from white, Arab from, well, you could still tell colors, obviously, right, but the right. point is, as far as distinctions, all of those are erased and removed at that point. Right. And that was actually quite an experience for Malcolm X when he, he made the Hajj and suddenly looked and realized there are blue-eyed Muslims here and uh, the, the distinctions of color and race, the religion really is intended to be a, a universal drawing Absolutely. people together. And, and Malcolm understood the connection between race and privilege. Yes. Because when Malcolm, what, what Malcolm saw in, in white Muslims, European Muslims mm -hmm. and Muslims from all mm -hmm. over the world that were blonde hair, blue eyed, that they didn't, he, he, he could tell that there was no sense of privilege or entitlement, that, uh -huh. that the equality was, was a manifested one in the way that everyone worshiped together and in the way that they spoke to one another. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that was, that's the point of Hajj, is that there's always a connection between race and privilege, race and class. Mm -hmm. And uh, Islam has an explicit anti-racism tradition. And it's, okay. it, it's, it's, it's wonderful that we don't have to try to extrapolate, but we can instead look at the Prophet's uh, explicit words. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, in his last sermon, uh, which is the farewell pilgrimage, he actually stands up and says, there is no difference between an Arab and a non-Arab and a white man and a black man, right. except in piety. So he, it's an explicit anti-racism tradition. So we can find that. And that's why I think liberation uh, theology has, even Christian liberation theology, has often unknowingly incorporated elements of Islam, especially in the African context. Interesting. You know, you, you broke upon the scene in Dallas for many people in the wake of the uh, July 7 shootings, uh, July 5th shootings. 
uh, in, in Dallas of the police officers and the, uh, the um, memorial that took place and, and your prayers and leading with faith forward leaders in Dallas. Uh, and so the, there was a, a great new sense of appreciation for the symbolism of uh, Muslims and Christians and Jews and people of other faiths joining together. But at the same time, you um, uh, did with my colleague, uh, Andy Stoker, uh, the senior minister at First United Methodist Church, a film uh, called, uh, I guess it was titled, uh, An Imam, a Pastor, and a Dream. Yeah. And, and the... the, the uh the backdoor title is the real life Amazon commercial. The, the real life Amazon commercial. <laughs> well, that film actually caught the attention of the radical uh, group ISIS, and they uh, decided that uh, you were an apostate imam and should be killed, in fact, as a result of your participation in this sort of unifying effort w between uh, I Islam and other religions and the like. So being a prophet, whether Muslim, Christian, Jew, it always is a dangerous posture in a sense, even when you're talking about peace and unity, isn't it? Well, peace and unity doesn't just threaten injustice and bigotry. It threatens the groups that thrive on exploiting people's fears. Ah. They manufacture and they exploit. Um, Islamophobes and extremists need each other. They yeah. thrive off of one another. Right, right. The, you know, ISIS provides the content necessary for Donald Trump to stoke fears here in America and yeah. for, for radicals here in America, truly, I mean, to stoke the fears of Americans and to direct their attention to a foreign right. boogeyman. And ISIS, you know, and those groups will use clips of Donald Trump. I mean, I study their propaganda. Right saying, I think Islam hates us. They will use that to say, see, they are at war with Islam. They're not, at, it wasn't about Iraq, it wasn't about Afghanistan, it wasn't about terrorism. Mm -hmm. They are indeed at war with Islam. And then mm -hmm. they will, you know, and then on this side, it's see, they're at war with America. They hate our, our way of life. All Muslims, all Americans, right. the, the, the exploiting the fear. And so it's pushing the school of thought of the, the clash of civilizations. And so when we put messages out of unity, um, we are deflating both sides. We are yeah. threatening the, the, the currency that both sides use right. to grow their, their groups and their following. So they, they need each other. They, they've got a love fest going on. They don't even know it. Wow. <laughs> Two sides of the same coin. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I, I think a lot of people would probably be interested in knowing on the other side of this. Are there things you would like from your point of view for Christians to know about uh, your Muslim experience in America? You know, I think that, that Christianity, because Christianity within the American political history has woven itself into such radically different experiences, it's hard mm -hmm. to speak to Christianity as generally as, yeah gen well thank you for knowing that <laughs> and maybe it would be fair for us to be able to say the, the same, same thing about, about Islam, Muslims right? yes yes right so I, I you know I think that it's more of uh, when I speak to Christians I think that it's remarkable the shared love that we have for for Jesus Christ peace be upon him that that he's an integral part of our faith and I don't expect you to adopt all the creedal implications of that right. just as I would hope that you wouldn't expect the same of me as a Christian but right. The fact that the two largest religions in the world both, both uh, hold uh, the person of Jesus, peace be upon him, in such um, glory, though obviously there are differences in, in how that plays out and how we view divinity. Um, <clears throat> so there are differences in creed, but if you could start with 
the fact that we both love him. Yes. So let's talk about let's talk about Jesus and let's talk about that shared heritage because most Christians don't even know that. No, right. And that's the right. you know making Islam so foreign mm-hmm. because people associate Islam with foreign and right. that's you know and that's part of uh, grievance politics is to otherize every group that you're going after. So right. that's that's the same tactic that's used to associate thuggery with Mexicans and you know so that sure. then you can throw the whole dreamers and the immigration. Uh, issue into one bucket right. or whatever that may be. So, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, Islam and Christianity from a theological standpoint, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's so much to be found uh, when, we, when we explore those similarities. We definitely have differences and it's mm-hmm. unity, not uniformity. So we talk about those differences and we can, we can right. be tolerant of one another, but we should appreciate our similarities before highlighting our differences. So it, it does seem that there are phases to interfaith and multi-faith conversation and partnership and 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 it begins with this sort of mutual respect and then it moves toward uh, acknowledging differences and then you want to emerge on the other side again knowing that there are commonalities and there are differences but how can we work together uh, in mutual respect well when we when we come back from the break i'd like for us to move uh, from that into some practical reality of how you're uh, working on current events and things that are going on in our community and in our country right now and applying your religious vision to it so uh, we'll take a break thank you the thanksgiving foundation operates thanksgiving square Good God salutes the Thanksgiving Foundation for advocating interfaith dialogue to promote understanding, harmony, and friendship in a community of diverse faith traditions and cultures. And we're back in this Good God conversation with Imam Omar Suleiman. And uh, we were talking before the break about how your prophetic vision about how religion interacts with public life and social justice uh, is related. And I know that you've just actually come back well, very early this morning uh, from an experience in Washington, D.C. I'd like you to talk about a bit. You were uh, actually arrested for civil disobedience uh, in defense of the Dreamers. Correct. So, uh, and I think this is exactly what we speak about when we talk about unity, not uniformity. So, mm-hmm. our we had a group of Muslim leaders that actually worked with uh, Ben the Ark, a group of Jewish leaders. Yes. Um, in particular, to support um, the Dreamers, and I thought it was a beautiful experience. Um, and you know, you can see tears in people's eyes. And one of the chants is, "We see you, we love you." Yeah. And they would chant that at us, and we would chant that back to them. We see you, we love you, because eraser. Uh, does not just uh, come in the form of uh, demonizing a group. It actually takes away their very humanity so that you don't know them as human beings anymore, but you know them as uh, purely a threat. And so I I think that that was a beautiful experience, and that's exactly how religion is meant to uh, associate with the public square. This is how we pray with our feet, as they say, right? Abraham Heschel, pray with our feet. So let let me get this straight. Muslims and Jews in Washington, D.C., organizing a march and rally together in acts of civil disobedience in defense primarily of Latinos, others too, but primarily Latinos who are uh, dreamers, that is children of immigrants who were born here um, or taken here by their parents and have only known this country. And you were there as an act of solidarity to support them. Correct. 
And they're predominantly Catholic. And they're predominantly Catholic. <laughs> so there's the vision of the reign of God in the world that we're looking for, isn't it? Right, absolutely. I, look, and, and I think this is what we've tried to do here in Dallas with Faith Forward Dallas. We call ourselves a multi-faith coalition uh, because we want people to understand that you come to the table as you are, mm -hmm. but for the benefit of everybody else at the table. So right. you're not expected to leave your tradition behind you or an essential part of your faith identity behind you. Come fully Christian, fully Jewish, fully Muslim. Right. Do not sacrifice or compromise any uh, anything of your creed but how can your being Jewish, being Christian, being Muslim, not only be in the background, but how do you live that out in a way that's to the benefit of humanity as a whole? Right. So I want you to be further beautified by your Christianity, further beautified by your Judaism, as I feel like Islam is an essential part of who I am, and it's, it is because of Islam that I'm dedicated to the causes that I'm dedicated. It's because of how I feel like uh, that monotheism was lived by the prophets, and. In, in, in Jesus, peace be upon him, or in Muhammad, peace be upon him, or in our father Abraham, peace be upon him. I feel like it's how they live their faith. Mm -hmm. that, that is indeed our vision. So I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not formulating a unique vision. I'm simply living in their vision as well, that monotheism uh, is not just limited to theology. Uh, but indeed, uh, you know, if you're, if you're really uh, for God, then you have to be for God's creation, no matter what they look like or who they are. In, in all of our traditions, something along the lines of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Something about the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right. uh, is foundational. Right. to our faith experience. But it does seem to me, Omar, that uh, this, this whole idea of whether we can engage fully with people of other religions and other uh, convictions uh, with, without uh, fear of losing something of ourselves really uh, re requires uh, the ongoing practice of one's own faith. Yes. Uh, that, that the stronger you are in your own faith, the more able you are to engage with others without fear of being polluted or diluted yeah, an and somehow being stained. It's a security question, isn't right. it? Yeah. it? It sure is. And look, I think all yeah. of us as clergy will struggle with our congregations with that at times. You're going to have some that Wait, you do too? Yeah. You do too? You know, I, I, I think that um, I can relate more <laughs> with, with a Christian clergyman than I can at times with a layman from my own congregation because the problems that we encounter uh -huh. right. and uh, the the issues are, are very similar. I mean, right. it's at the end of the day, it's 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 a pastoral relationship. So you have to you have to be able to walk your congregation mm -hmm. along. Right. And most people do not come to a masjid, a mosque, a church, or a synagogue um, to be led to uh, outside of that place of worship or, or led in that direction. Instead, they're coming to. Uh, you know, to really dig into their identities. And so right. when you're right. um, unchurching them or unmosking them in a positive way, right, right, taking the ministry to the streets, yes, then you are challenging much yes. of their identity. And uh, that, 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 that's scary to people. Well, it is scary. And, and, and I think as a religious leader, you've named this uh, because we all struggle with uh, the fact that we feel this calling and duty 
to address a faith that is fit for public life, that is meant to bring people together, that, that is about all of life and, 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 and all people, not only our own community. And yet, uh, in doing so, we, we find ourselves engaging with lay people especially who uh, feel much more comfortable with just reinforcing our own community and our right. own faith tradition. Right, Yeah. absolutely. So, well, uh, the challenges of Faith Forward are many. What are some of the issues that you and Rabbi Nancy Kasten and Reverend, uh, Reverend Dr. Michael Waters are addressing with our coalition at this point? So we live in an era of chaos. So it's yes. just the next thing to respond to all the time. And right. so a lot of times you want to be able to isolate yourself from everything that's going on so that you can move in one direction. Right. And I think that that's sort of what we're trying to find is that we, we have uninterrupted uh, work in, in the fields of poverty and public education and uh, racial equity. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, we are always equipped um, to respond to um, you know, the, the crisis that's on the ground, whether it's, mm -hmm. whether it's a, a, a hyper-local crisis or it's a mm -hmm. national crisis that uh, has a local effect. Uh, mm -hmm. I think Muslim ban was a, was a great example of that, right. seeing different faith leaders come to the airport at DFW right. uh, to protest the Muslim ban. Right. And that was something, I mean, the cross-sector, and I wrote about this on, on CNN. Um, I wrote an article called, I'm Not Your American Muslim, and I wrote about the last detainee, detainee at DFW, and I thought it was profound. Uh, he was a 33-year-old, I believe, 30-something-year-old um, Iraqi uh, military contractor. So he mm -hmm. helped, he assisted the U.S. military. Um, he had a uh, broken pelvis because he suffered an attack while he was assisting the U.S. military, mm -hmm. and his name was Jesus. Unbelievable. So yeah. it's like you, yeah. uh, what does that say about the Christianity right. of a person who supports a policy that had him detained for, for almost 24 hours and he almost died, like you almost killed right. Jesus back there. Right. And um, what does it say about the patriotism mm -hmm. of an American who supported those policies? Uh, right. And in the, name of, uh, in the name of, you know, make America great. Well, you make America great by detaining someone who supported the U.S. military and w suffered a broken pelvis right. in the process. So I think that there is a, and of course, my point in the article, the premise was that why, you know, the point that we're just not going to operate within these constructs mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, having to, to reach a different threshold of Americanness to be accepted as an American. Right. I'm just as American as, as, as a white Christian from, uh, from Louisiana, you know, and I'm just as right. patriotic as, as anybody else because I mm -hmm. love this country enough to tell it the truth. Right. So I'm invested in the future of the country, and I think that that's the idea that we we have to fight for uh, justice for everybody. A threat to justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So that's right. that's our calling as Faith Forward Dallas. Well, and we're grateful that you've come together to do this. You know, I've been in Dallas for nearly 30 years, and uh, been through numerous iterations of. Um, relationships of Christian churches and Christians and Jews and Muslims, but uh, the formalizing of these relationships through um, an ongoing group that is building and deepening friendship and preparing itself through its work for these moments that come up, they don't happen, this unity, without having previous relationships. And so what we saw, I think, with the Muslim ban and with the shootings uh, of uh, law enforcement um, persons uh, two years ago, uh, or three almost now, I guess, uh, the, the, all of these acts of unity happened because in a 
boring, ongoing way of meeting regularly and talking with one another and working on things. Uh, there's relationships being built. And you all have been doing that work, and it's bringing our communities together. So thank you for that. it. Well, you're, you're an essential part of bringing our communities together. So I think that we all owe you a great debt of gratitude. Well, thank you very much for that. And we actually hope that these good God conversations will be uh, part of that uh, process and, and drawing people together for the common good. You don't have to leave your faith at the door when you enter into a uh, relationship with others outside right. of your uh, religious buildings and right. religious places of worship. You can bring it with you, right. and in fact, you should bring it with you. And uh, doing so, I think, strengthens our conversation and our activity when we have uh, ways to tell stories about our faith uh, in engaging in public life. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, what's next on the horizon as you see it for Faith Forward and for you in your leadership? Well, I think that, um, you know, right now we're, we're looking at engaging the Poor People's Campaign. And that's, um, so there's continuous relationship building and we're going to actually be taking a civil rights bus pilgrimage together where we're going to be going to all of these significant sites or many of the significant sites right. of the civil rights movement. Um, obviously continuously engaging the Dreamers um, mm -hmm. uh, movement. Right now, it's a very polarizing election season yes. uh, here in Dallas. So I think mm -hmm. that um, mobilizing around uh, core issues of justice. But I think the Poor People's Campaign, we really want to show the intersectionality of poverty, race, and education. Right. Um, so that's, that's where we're going to see Intersectionality it. is a more academic word that's becoming part of the parlance of community organizing, but I, right. but I think it's probably worth just defining for us that uh, any particular area of injustice uh, actually has a connection to any other area of injustice. Correct. And so uh, these things come together. So it's not just your issue or your issue or your, it's all of our work together right. feeding into this work. Now the Poor People's Campaign is actually the uh, legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., right. uh, who 50 years ago uh, this year, uh, this April, was uh, assassinated. But he had moved from just uh, racial equality and the cause of civil rights in that respect to economic equality and right. uh, addressing poverty as the new civil rights uh, uh, movement and, and didn't get to finish that. Right. And so what you're talking about here is uh, work that we've, we've talked about bringing to pass. Uh, the Reverend William Barber has been here in Dallas recently and right. his moral movement uh, renewing that campaign. Right. So I know that in, in May, uh, there's, we're going to, right after Mother's Day, there'll be, begin a 40-day emphasis uh, for the Poor People's Campaign. Can you say any more about what you think might take place about that? Um, I think that you'll, you'll, you'll be seeing a lot more movement what I'm hopeful for is not just in support of policies, because we have a racialized poverty here in Dallas. I don't think I've ever, you know, I'm from New Orleans and mm -hmm. I've seen, I've yeah. seen the, the apartheid that exists in Dallas. I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. pretty ridiculous. So I think that uh, Texas is a very unique state. So connecting um, what's happening here in Dallas to the, the legislation in Austin in particular. I think that's what you're going to be okay. uh, seeing a connection between the two. And I don't think we've seen enough of that. Okay, So very good. Well, I do think it's, it's uh, exciting to think about how uh, in all of our faith traditions, we are wrestling with how to put together uh, our prayers on the one hand, our personal 
uh, devotion and piety that is essential with policies, right. with public life, and how that will aid in the flourishing of all people and strengthening the, the ties that bind our communities. Omar, thank you for all the work thank you're you. doing yeah. and thank for your you partnership for in it, and we Absolutely. look forward to continuing. Thank you, I appreciate Glad it. Glad to have you on Good Likewise. God. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Very good. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Our guest coordinator and communications director is Jay Pritchard. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. The Thanksgiving Foundation operates Thanksgiving Square. Good God salutes the Thanksgiving Foundation for advocating interfaith dialogue to promote understanding, harmony, and friendship in a community of diverse faith traditions and cultures. 